You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. And welcome to episode 97 of Three Geeky Ladies. I'm Elisa Paselli, and with me today is Suze Gilbert. How are uh, you, Suze? I'm well. How are you? I'm very well, actually, since the, the Patriots won. Unbelievable best Super Bowl game ever, as far as I'm concerned. The way I equated it was uh, to my husband was in, oh, 2004, when the Red Sox won game four <laughs> against the Yankees. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and he just, you know, kind of like pushed me away and... <laughs> told me to be quiet. I honestly stopped watching at halftime. Uh, I came, I was at my son's and I came home because I was so dejected. I said, I can't believe it. I can't believe it's a rout. So I refused to uh, watch TV until my husband, who is in Israel on a business trip, and my son said, turn on the TV. You're not going to believe it. It's a one score game. I'm like, yeah, right. And then I turned it on and then I saw Edelman I mean, I, I had rewound it a little bit because I was recording it. I saw Edelman make that incredible catch. And then once they won the coin toss in overtime, I knew I knew Tom Brady wouldn't lose it. I just knew it. So oh, I was pretty happy. I <laughs> love my Patriots. I probably love my Patriots as much as you love the Red Sox. And you know I'm a Boston fan for everything, but I love my Patriots more than the Red Sox. So just to let you know that. Okay. <laughs> in case you didn't know that already. <laughs> okay. So today what we wanted to talk about was a follow-up of our last episode about social media and we wanted to talk about it from a parental perspective. So for that, we have invited Scott Wilsey, formerly of Pocket Size Podcast, onto the show, since he is the father of a young daughter. Hello, Scott. Hello. Oh, Hi, Scott. I, I'm, I'm a father of a young daughter. Oh, yes, I am a father of a young daughter, yes. <laughs> Do we have the wrong person? <laughs> no, no. No, you have the right person. Okay. Now she, you know, it's amazing though. She's grown up so freaking fast that she's not going to mm -hmm. be a young daughter very, very long. I must say, makes oh, me I sad. Know. How old is I she know. now, Scott? She's ten. She's double digits. Wow! Oh wow! She will be a teenager before we have a chance to right the wrong, the presidential wrong. <laughs> Should I have said that? <laughs> Did I just lose your audience for you? No, no, no. Don't worry okay. about it. No, it's. Yeah. It, they grow so fast. I, I mean, and once they get into adolescence, it, it flies by. And, you know, after yeah. they graduate and they're in college, you think, where? I mean, it, it's just a, it's a it's an eye blink, really, all those years. And it's not a cliche. It truly is. It grows. It goes so fast. And while you're right. bringing them up, you're busy. You know, you're bringing them to this, you know, to lessons and this and that and doing school functions. And your life is so busy. Um, and then the, you just go into this lull period when they get into college. It's really bizarre. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, Scott. But, you know, how do you deal with social media with her? Uh, well, she's she's young. And so she, most of her friends don't really, they're not using it yet. They're not really using social media that much to connect to each other. And so right now it's more of, uh, I, right now, Social media that she has is more of uh, tangential things like uh, she does use Skype for connecting with her friends when they're playing Minecraft together. They all get online and play Minecraft on somebody's server. And she has social media on uh, certain other things that she does like um, uh, uh, um, Elisa knows what this is. I can't remember the name of that programming language that you just did a review on. Oh, Swift, Swift Playground? Swift Playground, yeah. No, 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 the other one from MIT. Um, my daughter just took a... Oh, 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 right. Um, and I don't have it in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> I know I know it. Let I me keep wanting to call it Scratch, but I don't think it's... Yes, that's what it is, Scratch. Is that what it is? Okay. Yes, yeah, Scratch coding. Right, right. So she took a class on that, and then she didn't use it for a long time after that. And her, her and I, when she was taking her class, we made a little racing game together, and she had fun, and she was doing it. And then, uh, then she kind of quit, and I thought, okay, well... I'm not going to push her, but at some point, maybe I'll bring it up to her again. And then one day, she was up here in the morning playing with that programming language, and she hasn't stopped since. And they have, like, comments that you can leave on other people's stuff. And 
I noticed that there was a thread of people adding stuff to make up a little story. So it's like a message board, but it's on the Scratch, the MIT Scratch website. So I think it's pretty well moderated, but I, I've had a couple peeks at that just to make sure nothing weird was going on and, and it seems okay. But that's the kind of stuff that she's been involved with so far. There ha- and, and of course she messages with myself and, and my wife, but, um, you know, she hasn't gotten to the point yet where all her friends are demanding that she be on Facebook or anything like that. So she is getting access to online communication and learning what that's about. She totally knows what Twitter and Facebook are. She just knows that she doesn't do those things. Although I did reserve her a Twitter name for later because I wanted to, you know, it's one thing that I think is fine is parents reserving their kids' names on social media for the future just so some somebody else won't take them. But, um, but that's about as far as it's gone so far. Has she requested to go on to be on social media? Has she requested a Facebook account or a Snapchat or anything like that? No, she hasn't. And I think it's because her friends haven't really either. Um, And I don't know if it's, you know, I don't know. So she goes to a private school right now. I don't know what the, I don't know what people her age in public school are doing. Maybe there's a lot more of them on social media. I'm guessing there are. But her particular set of friends that she communicates with the most, they just aren't doing it right now. So... uh, so far, I've kind of dodged that bullet. She does have a phone, though, correct? She does have a phone. It doesn't have, it doesn't have phone service, so it basically acts like an iPod Touch. It's a, okay. it's a iPhone 5S, but it's, it basically functions like an iPod Touch. Hmm. So the kids are getting actual phones younger and younger. My kids were in high school before they got a phone. My son mm-hmm. is a fourth grade teacher, and there are kids in his class that have iPhones. Or or a Samsung phone or something, mm-hmm. and I'm not quite sure what they do, but they have them. Well, so we when she, for example, when she took that promo, actually there's a there's a company around here I can't remember the name of it, but they Saturday Academy or something like that or whatever they are, but they have a whole bunch of wide range of things that your kids can go and learn, and it's not very expensive. Like she went and um, she was doing one for uh, Marine Life. And they went down and they got to tour a boat where where um, all these scientists would go out into the ocean and they got to see their instruments and the stuff they did out there and the kind of experiments they would do and and uh, for marine biology. And then she took the Scratch programming language to that same company. And when she went to those things, we did give her a phone. We have a we don't have a landline, so we have a spare phone. It's a cheap Android phone that we never use except for if a babysitter comes over, they can use that phone. If they don't have one, and um, we taught our we taught Olivia how to use it so that she can use it in emergencies, and so we basically gave her that phone and she took it with her when she went on those. That way, if she needed to contact us, she could. So, and I'm not opposed to the idea of having a phone with her at school if she's you know well behaved and doesn't use it when she's not supposed to, just for safety reasons. Nowadays, I think it's kind of important. And so I'm pretty sure at some point in the future, near future, sooner than we want, she's going to have her own phone. I see so many kids with phones. I mean, young children. I mean, like six, seven-year-old yeah. children. And that that kind of astonishes me, I have to say. And I don't want to say that without feeling a little old-fashioned. But <clears throat> I think that when if they do have a phone at that age and they're not monitored carefully and they do have a phone service. I think they could get in just a bunch of trouble. I mean, you know, I, I agree the safety reasons. I mean, I think that's, you know, of course you definitely want uh, them to have that little lifeline in case they need you. But um, I'm not, sh- I'm not sure how I feel. I, I, you know, I don't know if my boys were sick. I, I don't, I, they would not have a phone at six and seven, even if their friends did. I don't think I'm pretty no. sure I wouldn't give them a phone. If I no, did, I it would be a flip phone. That's I think. <laughs> Give him a flip phone. Right. No, I don't. I, I'm totally with you there. Our daughter, she didn't even carry this phone that's not even hers with her until she was nine. And yeah, I just don't see the point of it. I mean, well, first of all, it has to be something cheap because they're going to lose it or break it. And then secondly, if it has any kind of internet capability, then you have to really lock it down, which iOS parental controls aren't too bad. They can they can right. lock down a phone pretty well, depending on what you're what you're trying to do but um yeah it's not i'm i'm totally with you i don't i think that's a little crazy and and not only that why why we just 
it wouldn't get used that often. So why pay for that cellular service anyway is just not something that we felt like was a wise decision. Well, I feel if the, if a child at that age has a phone, Scott, um, Annalisa, um, <laughs> I feel that, you know, you know what it's like to have an iPhone. Everyone does. You become addicted to it. There's no question. You become addicted to it. I mean, I now, if I'm in my studio painting, I don't check my phone all day, which I, I have like phoneless days, which are kind of nice. But then, you know, that's studio work. And then once, you know, I, I have dinner, I'll check my phone after dinner and, you know, I'm on my iPad. But it's amazing how because they do so much and you can do so much with them and you can stream whatever you want on them and look up anything you want. I mean, if, you don't have to go to an encyclopedia anymore. You just go to Google. So I think what happens is that kids end up, I, I don't, I'm not sure about the brain activity, but when they're always on their iPhone, they're not going outside. You know, to me, I grew up in the outdoors. I was always outside. My mother would have to flick the light on and off when it got dark, and that was my signal to come in. So I just think I see so many children, and we we have a neighborhood, a young neighborhood. Very rarely do I see kids out riding their bikes. I see them on their phones, but, but I or I see them in the cars on their iPads, but I don't see them like just riding bikes. Once in a while I do, but nowhere near as many kids as this neighborhood has. I just don't see a ton of kids always playing outside. So I don't know if that's the um, the consequence of being so connected in the digital, in the digital age. Well, I think it's two things. Uh, it is a consequence of that, but I also think it's just a consequence of society's changed. And if your kid, heaven forbid, your kid walks half a mile to the grocery store now, they're going to be called free-range kids, and you're probably going to have the police <laughs> show up at your door. So I think it's both of those things, and which is sad. It really is. But, you know, I'll be the first to admit, there's a lot of times where I look at how we have handled our daughter, and I'm like, you know, she doesn't do a lot of stuff by herself without us. And, and is that good or is that bad? Now, part of that is because she's an only child, but part of that is also just because uh, it is different. And I know when I was a kid, I was like you and I was always gone. Um, of course I lived in Japan when I was a kid and the, the types of crime there were different. There were very mm -hmm. minimal types of crime towards people, towards children. Uh, and so we could hop on a bus and disappear downtown all day and nobody cared. It wasn't a problem. But even, even having said that here in the United States, it was different too. And it's just different now. So I think so my daughter does have devices. She, I gave her my iPad 2 quite a long time ago because I quit using it. And it was just was getting too slow for me. So I gave it to her. She was using that. Now she had, and she had an iPhone 3GS, which was acting as an iPod Touch for a long time. And now she has the iPhone 5S. It's not that she's not addicted to her devices because she is. And she has Apple TV and she spends a lot of time either playing games on that or watching YouTube, mostly watching Minecraft videos on YouTube. But up until, you know, I think we do have to start being more careful now, but the nice thing about her, and I'm suspecting with a lot of children is, they actually self-regulate. Like, they will overdose on electronics and devices and media, and then they will just go through a phase where all they do is read books, or they will go through a phase where all they do is play with toys. She'll go through phases where she does nothing but play with toys, and I can hear her babbling away, telling little <laughs> stories and making up stuff, and, and she'll just do it on her own. She, she is pretty good at self-regulating. Now, the older she gets, I think it's a little harder for her to have that balance. And I, I think there's going to be more times where I have to step in and say, okay, you've had enough. You need to figure out something else to do. I would rather you read a book or go outside or do whatever than, you know, watch YouTube videos or play on your iPhone. But when she was, you know, up until now, she's been pretty good about self-regulating because, I, I don't know, I think they just have a lot of energy and they have interests. And yes, for some kids, I'm sure it's a concern, but I think... Um, I think there's some self-regulation there that happens if parents let it. Hmm. Is is she aware of the current political climate? Like, have, have, does she see the news when you're watching the news, or have you spoken to her about it? As far as what's going on in the world and maybe the social media surrounding it, like in, in very simple terms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she is, and I've I've made it. You know, I've made it clear to her that look, we have political views, and those are going to come through. And I've always told her, with, with regards to anything that we teach her, those are our beliefs, but she has to figure out what she believes for herself, and it might not always be what I believe, and I really don't care as long as she comes by her views honestly, you know, as long as she really thinks about it and comes to an honest conclusion and not just, 
not just parrot what somebody else said or, you know, you know, we're all programmed to some degree, let's face it. Um, and we all program our children to some degree too, and that can be good or bad. But, uh, you know, I think that we have to we have to let kids find their own way and we have to let kids come up with their own beliefs. Because if we believe something and it's really important to us, we can teach it to our kids, but it's not really going to be important to them unless they figure it out for themselves and decide that, yes, I, I get it and, and that is my own belief and I've analyzed it and it's my belief too. And, and if they turn out that they don't, well, then they don't. But we can't just... We can't just fill them with stuff and expect them just to have our views automatically. I think that's a bad way to live. And so um, so I've kind of had that I talk with her. I completely agree. Yeah. So I've had that talk with her where it's like, okay, you're going to you're gonna understand that we have certain political views and here's how we feel about what's going on, but you need to come up with your own answers. But, I, but I've told her the one thing that I won't accept is her being intolerant towards other people or or having attitudes towards other people because they're different, which she doesn't. But I just... You know, that's the one thing I've made clear I don't accept. And I have had to talk to her about the fact that there is a lot of that stuff online and there's terrible people online. And I've I've had the discussion with her. She likes gaming. She likes games. And now she's doing a little bit of programming. And, you know, I've had to have the talk with her. I'm like, look, there are boys that are going to tell you that they're better than you. There are boys that are going to think that gaming is for boys. There are boys that are, and And she's heard it too. She's already heard that before. You know, girls don't like Minecraft. Girls don't play this and that. And I'm like, excuse me, but they do. <laughs> and, and so she knows. And I've, I've, I've explained to her, it's like, look, you can feel free to ignore those people. You, A, they're wrong. And B, you don't have to listen to them anyway. And, you know, but I've, I've had that talk, but I haven't beat her over the head with it yet. But I've just had the talk of you're going to encounter attitudes that say that you can't do this or that you're not good enough or whatever. And just be aware that those people are out there. They're wrong. And hopefully as time goes on, we hear less of that, but you're going to run into that because you're a girl and because you like these things, you're going to encounter these attitudes. And, and I just want you to know that they're wrong and you don't have to listen to them. You, you can feel free to ignore those people as much as you want and that's okay. And so there is, so from that aspect, I have talked to her about the kind of attitudes that she might get online. Obviously she's 10. Uh, I haven't, I don't think it's the time to talk to her about, you know, go too deep into misogyny and stuff like that yet. But, you know, she'll she'll definitely get there. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. It's it's a different world because Suzanne and I have older children. So by the time a lot of these things, these social media, um, uh, what do we call it, like programs came out, our kids were already pretty much grown. So it wasn't that much of an issue for us as far as having to guide our kids as, you know, young teenagers. Uh, I know my kids don't, they're on Facebook, but they don't really use it that much anymore. Two of them are, well, two of them were on Twitter. One just doesn't do it anymore. And one rarely goes on. And two of them do Instagram, but one does a picture of food and the other one does a picture of his girlfriend. (laughs) So it's just very innocent, basic, eh, I thought of it, I'll throw it on, no big deal. Yeah. You know, and they do Snapchat, which I still don't understand Snapchat. I don't understand the purpose of it, but they use that. So, you know, I don't have to worry about them. I would worry, though, when the time comes that I have grandchildren. Right. Like you said, the misogyny, if it's a girl, the possibility of misogyny coming from a grandson. Right. Well, and that's the thing, too, is it's, if you look at it from both sides of you, number one, it's easier to absorb negative attitudes online. It's also easier to be targeted by negative attitudes online. But one of the toughest things that I am not 100% sure how to deal with yet, but I know that this is something that I have to, that that we're going to have to discuss with her at some point is, we were allowed to grow up and form our attitudes offline where they were in our heads. And if we said something stupid and it was wrong, and later we realized, wow, that was really dumb. I can't believe I said that. (laughs) It, It didn't go further than a handful of friends. And now that's not the case. And so, you know, some of the people that say awful things online are awful people and they they're grown up and they should know better. There's also people that say awful things online that probably believe them, but in 10 years time they're going to go they're going to look back and say I can't believe I had that attitude that was terrible. Because 
just looking at myself, I know there's a lot of things that my attitudes have changed on over the years. And when I look back at some of the attitudes I had when I was younger, uh, you know, it's like, I can't believe I was such a caveman or whatever. And we all have that. Everybody learns, everybody grows up, everybody matures. And, you know, in theory, we get better if we're actually trying, if we really care, I think, you know. But kids don't have the opportunity to make those mistakes as easily without it without paying more severe consequences than we would have ever imagined when we were trying to grow up and formulate our viewpoints. Well, I think social media brings um, sometimes a mob mentality. We talked about this in our last podcast, and I think kids are not immune to that. So if they do something at school, you know, you've got, they're inundated either um, via text message, nasty text messages, or they're bullied on Facebook. And you know, that never, I mean, we were bullied on, if you're, there was any bullies, uh, there were any bully, bullies when I was growing up, but they were always on the playground. You know, you didn't have them on in school, plus when you got home and had, you know, um, to basically be a pariah in your social group. And personally, I think social media has made people mean. I, I really have. And I'm going to just say it. I just, I think, I think people are losing their compassion for each other and their, and their tolerance. They feel that they can hide behind um, this anonymous avatar and then say whatever the heck they want to, to people. There's no, there's no um, stopgap measure for them to say whatever they want, knowing that it's probably going to hurt somebody or it's going to make somebody angry. I, I just, some, it's turning me off sometimes when I see things on Facebook or I see things on Twitter. Thinking, oh my God, would they really say that to somebody's face? Of course they wouldn't, but they, there's, a, there's power. And then if people agree with them, there's power in numbers. I remember when the internet was new and, you know, people would start to troll and it was just the opposite. People would just go, go down on the troll. They'd say, just get off. If you don't like it, get the heck out of here. They don't, it, people can say whatever they want and they can ruin people's lives. And that's what upsets me is that the, this mob mentality, this power that people feel with social media and I'm not saying social media is bad but when it's 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 like the force when it's used for um evil <laughs> or when it's used to to bully somebody or it's used to make someone lose their job or to humiliate someone I just find that really hard to take as I get older I really do I just think it's people are just uh, showing the, their worst side and sometimes you, you know it can be a wonderful thing when you see you know, people be compassionate and they, and they, you know, say, Hey, this person just lost their mother, you know, can you send her some messages or cards? Yeah. You know, that's pretty cool. But I think for kids, you know, especially in that nether area, when they're, when they're coming into their own being, they're, they're learning who they are, that tween stage. And, it can be devastating, I would think, when you're just, you're trying to find yourself, you're trying to figure out who you are, what makes you tick, you're trying to fit in, you're trying to be cool, and you you make one minor misstep, and man, social media can just crucify you. I, I don't know, I don't think I'd want to be growing up right now, personally, but, you know, that this upsets me. I, th- I don't know what I, I, I never had a daughter. Um, I had always assumed that if I did have a daughter, that I would want her to, to stand up for herself and to have a voice. And um, because, you know, I, I wasn't taught that. I was told that, you know, you only spoke when, you're, when you were spoken to and that, you know, you should be seen and not heard. And that's, my mother was very strict about that. Well, I ended up, I was always the one sitting in the corner of my classroom writing, I will not talk in class. A hundred times. I will not talk in class. So, you know. I hear you. <laughs> I was always the one that was sitting in the corner. Um, but, you know, I think that it's also a wonderful time to be a woman because I think there's, I think women are coming into this really wonderful time like they did in the 60s when um, the nascency of women's lib and you know, you think back when the suffragettes, I mean, they, we had these times in history. And I think, you know, with the recent Women's March in Washington, I think they're bringing women's, uh, hopefully this will be a dialogue that will bring issues to the forefront. And women are enjoying this wonderful power. I was very, 
uh, empowered to see how many women were marching, not only in Washington, but in cities all across the country. I thought that was pretty wonderful. And I think there are a lot of issues that, you know, need to be dealt with uh, politically um, that concern women. But for a girl, I think how cool it is with the STEM program, how women, like for me, instance, and I don't know about Elisa, but, you know, it was assumed that girls, when I was growing up, that girls were not going to be engineers. They were going to be secretaries or nurses or teachers. That's pretty much, um, those were the, the big three. We had to take home mech. We weren't allowed to take shop. I took shop right. just to let you know. And that's really funny because I had enough credits to graduate uh, when I was a junior. And um, so I took all my favorite classes the first the first um, uh, quarter of the first semester of my senior year. And I said, I'm going to sign up for shop. So I did. I took woodworking because my dad always worked with wood. And while the guys were making gun racks for their pickup trucks, I, the, the teacher loved me. I said, I want to make a trestle table. And I want to make I'm, the desk that I'm sitting at right now is one that I made when I was uh, 17 years old. That's that's my computer desk. It's still standing after all these years. Wow. I made Great. I used the lathe. I made a set of cherry bowls. Well, he nominated me for the shop award. And I had only taken a semester of shop. And all these kids that had taken industrial arts through three years, their parents stormed the principal's office and said, no way was a girl going to win the shop award. <laughs> so, so that's how, and now I don't think that would ever happen. But I loved woodworking. And, you know, it was a, it was a great way to get my, you know, some more credits. And I just think, you know, for math, though, I found that when I was struggling in calculus, the teachers were not patient with you. you. You know, when you were a girl, they just weren't patient. They're like, well, if you don't get it, you really should just drop the class. I can't imagine. I don't know if that would happen now. I mean, um, I think that there's more of a push for to basically um, help women or girls, I should say, to develop those mathematical skills because, you know, more women are becoming engineers, which is, these are all wonderful things. You know, more women are becoming CEOs and going into management. And, you know, it's not just the big three anymore, the teaching, nursing, and of course, you know, being a secretary, which was what we were kind of uh, relegated to, Elisa. You had to be, you had to be like a math phenom in my school for teachers to pay attention to you, you know, and that was like one of my classmates, she ended up being my statistic. When I went back to school, she went and she was my statistics professor and she was a, she was a wonderful professor. So. I got to tell you this real quick story. When I went to college, I went to um, community college the first two years before I went to the university and I was in an economics class, which happened to be with my husband who wasn't even my boyfriend at the time. We just knew each other. And there were two girls in the class because this, the section of economics we were in happened to be engineering. But for some reason, this other girl and I, who were business majors, ended up in this class. And the teacher, he was just this very conservative Christian kind of a person. And he let us know that he was conservative Christian. And he made it very clear because he came right out and told us that the only reason why I and me and this other girl should be in that class and that, well, first of all, we shouldn't have been there because we were taking two seats away from boys. (laughs) But if we were there and we got a degree, the only reason why that's okay is because if we get married, because that's what we're supposed to do is get married to have children. If our husbands die, we need to go out and get a job to support our children. Or if our husbands divorce us. (laughs) Wow. No, it's, it's we true, get a though, divorce. But that's true. If our husbands divorce us, we need to get a job. But for me to get a job after I graduated my business degree, for me to get a job is taking away a job from a man who needs it more than I do. And all the boys, they knew me at that point. They all looked at me. And I let this teacher have it. And they're, I could hear, they're all going, go, Elisa, go, Elisa. Because <laughs> even back then, this was the late 70s. They all thought that was a stupid thing to say, and they had no problem with girls being in the classroom and girls getting their degrees and girls getting jobs, that they knew that we weren't there to find a husband, get our MRS degree. It was, oh, thankfully, we don't, I mean, hopefully we don't have to deal with that anymore. I mean, my kids, they don't care, you know, as far as when they were in school. I think the good thing about the fact that you know, one of, 
The main reason that I think transhumanists are insane is because people have to die. And the reason people have to die is because attitudes like that have to die out. And they never will if people live forever. But uh, <laughs> unfortunately, so interesting. there's... Yeah, but unfortunately, I mean, seriously, I mean, I'm a dinosaur. I have to die, too. And then eventually the world will get better and better, right? But I think... Oh, Scott. People, people keep... People keep having these attitudes and they keep teaching it to their children. I think over time it gets less and less, at least I hope. You wouldn't know it in America right now and some of the other places in the world. We've, we're regressing a little bit. But I think that over time the trend is still towards getting better and better. There's still more people that are open-minded now than there used to be. There's still more people that understand now that men are not better than women and that you know, people of all races are equal and, and that life is a lot more interesting when you've got people that are different than you to learn from. And over time, it's getting better. It just takes for freaking ever because it the, does. People that are, the people that are bad pass it down to their children and they believe it too. And so there's always going to be some element of it. And humans are just wired to always look at the other, you know, the others. We're all like that. Even in groups where people look the same, we always find a reason to outcast somebody as an other. But over time, it is getting better. It's just really discouraging because it, it feels like it takes forever. But I think it, you know, as tough as I worry that it can be for people right now, and, and I'm looking at my daughter going forward and, and the things that you were saying, Suze, about it being a tough time to figure yourself out without getting dogpiled on is very true. And I worry about that because my daughter can be very shy and she can be quiet, even though once she gets to know people, she's definitely not. But she can be that way, and I, I worry that she's not going to stand up for herself sometimes. But but people have had it a lot worse. I mean, there have been times in, in this country and, and across the world where it has been a lot worse. Can you imagine being black in the 50s and mm-hmm. 60s, for example? I know. I mean, terrible, right? So it does get better, and I think the problems that we're facing are different, but they're not insurmountable, and they're certainly not as bad as some things that other people are facing. So... It, there, there is reason to hope. And I think overall, the trend is towards getting better, even if mankind has these crazy backlashes. And I'll tell you the truth. When Obama became president, I honestly thought, okay, we've just had our first black president. There is no way that America is going to take this without having some kind of crazy backlash. And I, I really don't think that was the only reason or maybe not even the biggest reason, but it definitely happened. Uh- I know, and you know, the, but the still the thing for me is I see it, I see it all the time. It's just um, this inherent nastiness that people tend to exhibit on social media. Not all of them, but I don't like the fact that um, for me is that people cannot have a difference of opinion or they cannot agree to disagree without being, like you said, dogpiled on. That's, that's, I mean, we're in the United States. We should be able to say what we want um, with respect. And if people disagree with us, they absolutely can. But they, I don't need to be personally attacked. You know, that's what bothers me is these personal attacks I've seen. I mean, people get just, I, I thought, what the heck? I mean, why are people so nasty? But nobody tends to call them out on that. It used to be they did. Now they, they tend not to. And See, that's that's what I was thinking as far as Scott bringing up Olivia. Yeah. Of uh, te- trying to teach her when she sees comments, whether it's on Twitter or Facebook or just somebody's blog, how to differentiate between a constructive criticism or just a polite difference of opinion versus someone who's just bitter and negative and nasty and to be able to just say, put that one aside, ignore it. But read this one because this one has a counter argument to the blogger's position that gives you something to think about. You might not agree, but it just gives you something to think about. And this is constructive. That's hard. That is true. And I'll tell you, Elisa, I can remember, I mean, I had teachers, even when I went back to to school, I had professors that, you know, would say, oh, you know, I like this. This is the reason why I like this particular piece, you know, when I was in art school. 
But I, you know what you remember when you're younger and you remember when, even when you're older, you don't remember, unfortunately, you don't remember the positive comments. You tend to let those negative things fester in you. At least I do. I don't know about other people, but sometimes when you're doing something, you think of that negative comment that you heard and you think, oh, just put it aside, let it go, you know, just let it go. But, and I think about that when people are coming out and really showing this, um, really, nefarious side of themselves how do you put that aside how do you tell a young girl that you know if somebody makes a terrible comment about her just forget about that look at you know all the positive ones Uh, Mm -hmm. I I don't know I I'd still be thinking about the negative one and thinking and making you insecure and I think that's I think social media has become a group of narcissists I'm sorry but these you know people I have I stopped going on Instagram for a while. I only follow people that, you know, are artists or have interesting photos because I'm so sick of looking at selfies. I don't need to know your breakfast. I don't need to see your lunch or dinner. I don't need to see you in a mirror holding your phone, taking a selfie. There's, right. It's boring. It's so ubiquitous. Well, the, other thing, the other thing, though, about Instagram that I found, because you do it for photography, I only post with as relation to knitting. And there's been times, of course, you know, people always hashtag – and I'll click on a hashtag, a, you know, I'm looking at like a pair of socks and I'll click on a hashtag and all of a sudden I see like naked pictures that have that same hashtag. I'm like, whoa, where did this come from? Well, obviously you're into porn, Elisa. So what can well, I say? Well, okay. <laughs> well, you know, okay. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to tell the whole truth there. But no, but like, it might be like, I, know. I don't know, just something like, Knitting is fun, let's say, is a hashtag. And then all of a sudden, there's like someone puts that as a hashtag to their naked picture. I'm just like, whoa, whoa, where is this coming from? I'm looking at knitting and innocent stuff, and I'm looking at this. So that's something else that would concern me as far as young kids who are yeah, innocently yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, looking at yeah. something and end up like in a ha- cesspool. And you have to be careful of apps as well. Parents need to be careful of apps because remember when that cute app Foldify came out? Foldify came out. Oh, yeah. yeah. Remember that? And basically what Foldify is, is you can... you can basically design on this um, virtual folded paper and then you can print them out so you can make people. I mean, you can fold it. You're basically folding paper into different shapes. So you can make like Christmas trees and trucks and cars. And, you know, it, w- it was really cool when it came out because there was nothing like it in the app store. But they had this social media a thread, this feed going through it th- so people could post their creations and you could like it or not. Well, people were, of course, getting really sexual, really sexual. And they were basically taking photos of themselves naked and putting, you know, like men would, and then put it into one of the Spoldify things and then post it. And, you know, people were just appalled because their kids were using this. So it's not only social media. It's just sometimes you have to be careful of app feeds, you know, whether it's an art app or what, that people aren't posting, you know, because sometimes the developers don't get on it quickly enough, you know. And I thought, seriously, I mean, see, they're doing this. Oh, man. I mean, again, a society of narcissists. I mean, I don't want to look at your junk. And yeah. especially, I don't want to fold it. I don't want to print it out and do a foldify <laughs> on it. Oh, I felt like saying, oh, I, I wanted to say to the guy that did it, I want to say, ooh, okay, I think I have, um, you know, um, a four by three piece of paper. I think I can print this out. I just wanted to nail him on something. But of course, it doesn't allow you to comment. But I just wanted to, oh, I just think, geez. So, you know, I find personally, though, I'm getting so bored with images. And that saddens me because I love photography. But we are becoming so inundated with images. I can't even imagine being a young person and getting into photography right now because you just kind of have to like push all those images that you see tens of thousands every day on Instagram or Snapchat or, you know, whatever social or Facebook or Twitter, you know, I I don't know. I just think um, it's interesting how things have changed with the advent of the iPhone. It's been 10 years since the iPhone. And it's really interesting to see the bombardment, how camera companies who we never thought would ever suffer have you know suffered with with their with their camera sales and um you know whoever thought tom tom you know everybody had a garmin um 
oh, GPS in their car. Died out. <laughs> you know, it just it, it you know in the music industry it changed the music industry. I think it's going to be changing the movie industry. I mean, everybody's streaming. It's changed so many things. You know, and you could argue pros and cons, but you know, I'm glad it has personally. Well, think in about some ways. think about from the photography aspect of it, though. Think about this. Uh, think of Flickr. Flickr's social, so it'll relate. Thank to you. This. I forgot about but, Flickr. Yeah. But one thing about digital photography th- that changed the world was it's so easy to take tons and tons and tons and tons of pictures and experiment. I think you know, film is cool, yes. and I like film. Mm-hmm. Film is how I started out, but digital photography is. It just enabled people to learn the art of photography so much faster because you can make mistakes and see them right away, and you can adapt your technique. It's uh, it's brilliant for learning. Like also, when I was a kid and I was into film photography, I couldn't afford a lot of film, and I couldn't afford to get it developed all the time. So from a, from a learning aspect and trying new things, digital photography is is outstanding. It's just, it, it changed photography. But if you look at Flickr, and this is even true years and years ago, you, if you look at Flickr, you'll see that a lot of pictures are taken with a certain set of rules. Oh, you have to have a sunset. You have to have a mirror mm-hmm. finish on that lake. You have to have this. You have to have that. There's so many beautiful but repetitive games in photography that they do the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and this makes a wonderful photo well yeah it does make a wonderful photo but not when everybody in the bloody world is doing the same freaking photo so i get where you're coming from with the instagram thing but i think photographers have always had to throw away look at and learn from but then throw away what other people are doing anyway i I don't think that part of it's anything new i just think we're we're awash in it is all but i think i think it's I, i think it's okay to to have that stuff around as long as you realize, you know what, all this does is give me permission to go off in some other direction and do my own thing. I don't think that part of it's really changed that much. Well, I disagree respectfully because I think with all these images, it's, it's mired photography and a lot of mediocrity. And it's really hard to separate, you know, the wheat from the, the chafe. I just, it's hard to, to separate incredible images. One of my very favorite photographers who does not do digital is Michael Kenna. And he was the first one that really, um, because people have tried to copy him over and over, but I love Michael Kenna's images because he does long exposure night photography. And he really just captures this beautiful essence of, of, of black and white. And the way that he tones his, the way he tones his prints is through the selenium and sepia process. Okay. You can't digitally recreate that, which I'm kind of happy with. But I love the fact that he takes his photos with a Hasselblad, which is the noisiest camera in the world. I love my Hassie, but still it's noisy. I, and he, it makes him think. That's one thing that digital photography does not do. It doesn't make you think because you can quickly snap the shutter and you got a photo. And then here and there. And yes, it allows that experimentation. But I also think there's a case to be made for film because you know you only have 12 exposures if you're doing a medium format and you have to make them count because film's expensive. It's extremely expensive now. So you have to make those 12 prints count. And I think there's a beauty to that. I think there's a beauty in slowing down and thinking about what is going to make a powerful image. We don't have that anymore, Scott. We just have a bombardment of mediocre images. That's, you know, of course, my opinion. Everybody's free to disagree with me. But that, um, that I'm hoping will change, you know, because I, I don't think it will, because I think everybody just is so in love with their life and they, or they want to be like Kim Kardashian. They or follow, they want, you know, they want, they want people to think they're in love with their life. Yes. Yes. And they, that's another thing. You're absolutely right. They tried to give this image of a perfect life. Wouldn't you like to be like me? And I, I think there's a beauty. I find that right now I'm going with hybrids. So basically I'm trying to use my iPhone as I would a digital camera. So I give myself a parameter. Okay, I'm only going to take two images today, but they have to be really strong images. So it makes me think about what I'm going to photograph. But then what I can do is I can make a digital negative from it and I can print it out on my paper and I can, my photo paper, some which is now getting expired. And then I can make a print from it. So that's, there's, there's a beauty in that, ambiguity of using digital and and analog 
And yeah. I don't know. I mean, alternative processes now, we thought, we thought analog was dead when, when the iPhone came out. But it, what's really nice is I'm seeing more and more people are using analog processes. They're trying to relearn these processes, like using their iPhone photos for sienna types, for instance, or Van Dyke prints, mm-hmm. which I think is fabulous. I think it's a wonderful way to combine both. But you, know you have is- to have good images. Yeah, I agree. Well, okay, then let me throw this out there. A lot of a lot of the stuff that passes for photography, you can say the same about writing. And this goes back to the fact that um, blogging and social media and Facebook and all these different avenues for communication have given everybody the ability to say whatever they want whenever they want, and, and nobody can stop them. And that's great, except... A lot of it's junk. And Mm -hmm. the same thing with photography. Everybody can take a picture now. Everybody can take a million pictures. Everybody can stream a video. Everybody can do whatever. And a lot of it's junk. And that's fine. It just means there's more garbage to wade through. But I don't think it changes. I don't think it changes the fact that if somebody wants to be serious about it, they can learn from that, but they can also ignore a lot of it. Like they can learn from it as an object lesson. Like let my life serve as a warning to others type of object lesson. Um, (laughs) But, you know, they can learn from it, they can ignore it, and then they can learn to be more thoughtful about their own stuff. But I think, you know, this is just part of the internet. It it enables everybody to do all these things. Unfortunately, most people shouldn't do, you know, I shouldn't say that. It, people should do whatever they want. <laughs> people should always do whatever they want. They should be interested in what they want. They should like what they like, and they should do what they want to do. I'm perfectly okay with that. But not everybody should have the expectation that their stuff is great and everybody should love it because, you know, most of us aren't super great at a lot of these things. Um so you can gravitate towards the stuff that is good. And it is hard to filter out the noise. But I think, yeah, I don't know. I, it's That is definitely something that I think kids, sh- I think we can encourage kids in that aspect of it is, is like, look, you're going to see all this stuff and some of it's not good. There's a lot of writing online and most of it's not good. So let's think about the process of writing. Let's think about the words that we're using. Let's think about the images that we're building because in the end it's you know storytelling and creating images in people's minds and and that's what's interesting not the fact that we can you know babble words all over the internet same thing with photography and it just i think yeah it just i i, well, I have it's, a, I have I a question for you grasp that i think it just needs i think kids can get that point i think they just need to be shown people who are doing something unusual or different with it but i have a i think sometimes well, what about this? Now, say your daughter wants to be an artist. And th- be, I, I say this because Board Panda, which is this neat little site I go to, they had some uh, cartoons about artists. And one of them was funny because, you know, somebody was saying, you know, my art looks really great. And then you compare it to somebody's art on Instagram or Facebook and you think, oh, my art sucks. And I'm thinking, so what happens when you have a child um, or I would say a teenager that, you know, is, is learning how to draw and they go on these Instagram feeds and they think I'll never be as good as this person, even though we all started be- as beginners. I just, I think sometimes that can almost be intimidating, you know, because people that are on there, some of them, their work is insane. It's just absolutely exquisite. But is that intimidating on the other side, you know, is it intimidating for people that are learning because it is hard to separate. It's hard to separate the junk, but, and I had another question for you as a girl, how do you, um, you know, how do you respond to your, your daughter, especially a girl, um, like with, for instance, like Kim Kardashian or Britney Spears or Beyonce when, you know, they, are very scantily clad on their feeds and you know, their life is just one of, it seems excess, not, 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 I'm not just calling out Beyonce or anybody, but just, it seems so excessive. It's not a life that a normal, you know, uh, middle-class child is probably going to have. How do you respond to that? I mean, because how, how do you teach them? How do you say, you know, how do you deal with your body image? Because when they see somebody that, you know, like, and I hate to keep using Kim Kardashian, but is obviously had enhancements. How do you teach a proper body image to a young girl? I, I mean, I wouldn't even know where to go with that right now. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, think. I, I don't think I do either. I think that's a problem that's been around for a long time. I think it's definitely intensifying, but 
No, I wasn't around for Lisa and myself because wow. nobody had breast nobody had breast enhancement enhancements. Nobody had breast augmentation. No, I agree and they, with that. And they didn't have. I mean, if you had a big bottom, oh my god! You, I mean, you intentionally dressed. And I remember saying, "Does my does my butt look big in the in these pants?" Because you didn't want your butt to look big. It's totally different. And it style. wasn't. And we didn't have the social media. We didn't have the no. internet back when we were growing up. So we didn't have all these images thrown at us saying, no. "This is what you need to look like." If you're a size four, you're. A, I mean, how many times do we hear of models, whether it's Sports Illustrated or Victoria's Secret or whatever? They say, "I was a size four, and they told me to lose twenty pounds because I was too fat." No, I, I agree with you. It's 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 definitely worse than it used to be. But I still remember, I don't remember what show it was, but I remember hearing this radio clip from some radio show in the 80s. And this guy was saying the reason that women's lib was invented was so that unattractive women could could get themselves involved in society or something stupid like that. And <laughs> so those those attitudes have always been there. It's just worse now. It is worse. I, I don't disagree. And, and, you know, to me, like I've seen some of the people that I see that have had plastic surgery, they're like in their 20s. I'm like, what is your problem? There's nothing wrong with you. There, you know, it just blows my mind that anybody who's who of that age would even think that they had to do something like that. And, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to deal with that one right now. I don't I don't have an answer. Well, to that. for instance, the the first daughter, Ivanka Trump, beautiful girl. But if you look at photos of her when she's in her early 20s and photos, after she had the breast augmentation. Mm-hmm. It looks like she's had something done with her nose. And, you know, most kids, when, they, when they're going to college, they can't, aff- or even when they get out, they have student loans. They're not going to, the first thing they get out is they're not going to be doing breast augmentation or trying to fix things, you know. And it's not that I'm against surgery, but I read a report in um, in the oh, it was one of the newspapers here in Texas that some girls are having breast augmentation at fifteen and sixteen years old. Fifteen and sixteen, mm. you're not even done with puberty then, you know. Well, that's just it. I think I, you know, if people want to do these things, that's fine. But I really wish no. that they would a fif- wait. A 15? Until, no, no, no. I don't mean at that age. But what I mean is, I really wish they. I don't think people should do anything like that until they get to the point where they're mature in their mind. They've had a chance to accept themselves. They've had a chance to figure out what's important. And because I honestly have to think that a lot of these people are going to regret it down the line. Well, I I have to be honestly, I I mean, when I look at Helen Mirren, the actress, I think she's probably had some work done, but it's very subtle. She looks awesome. When I look at some of these younger actresses, Courtney Cox and they, they're trout pout, you know, the, the stuff, the Botox and the collagen mm-hmm. they put in their lips. Collagen, I mean, it, yep. They've totally changed their, their attractiveness. And in, in my, I mean, Meg Ryan made a total mess of her face. And I, and, and I don't think Nicole Kid, Kidman can actually stretch her face before it, it literally cracks. I just don't think she can have her face stretched anymore over her bone structure. But I just think if I was a young girl, I mean, we have this perception of, of attractiveness, of beauty, and it, it seems as if social media has made it much more important. That's what I'm Well, I think uh, for the saying. entertainers, you know, the Helen Moran, uh, the, the Courtney Coxes, you know, the, the Kim Kardashians, they're in the public eye. And for them to get, and, and I'm not saying this is right, but this is, I think, the mentality, for them to get a job, they have to keep looking younger and younger and younger, which is why they have all the work. But when it's just the average person like us getting, I think, a, some of it, I'm not going to say all of it, but some of it has to do with self-love. You know, I am not good enough the way I am. Therefore, I need work. Yeah. So who? Not, but who? Not puts, in every case. But who puts that? It, it, you know. Again, I remember when I was younger, men. I mean, well, I think I don't even know if Playboy. I think didn't it go under? But I remember Playboy. That was the big deal, and I felt very self conscious because you know um, some of the guys that I dated, you know, read Playboy, and they would, you know, say, you know. It was all about the boobs. And I thought, well, too bad. I prefer, much preferred the French um, perception where, you know, more than a mouthful is a waste. And I thought, yep, that's, I'm going to, I'm going to France. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, but no, I just think, again, it's, it's, is it men, men making women feel insecure about their looks or their bodies? I mean, 
if you think about women and their perception, men, when they get older, I mean, they still get work. I mean, look at Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, um, Russell Crowe. They all still are working. Women, from what I understand in Hollywood, it's very hard after 40. It's really hard. You have to fight for those roles. You have to fight for a plum role. But I think that's, again, you know, is it this perception where we feel we have to look young for whom? To get a job or for men? Or do we have to look a certain way to be attractive to men? And you know, I know the dating apps like, you know, Tinder and oh, I can't just, I just lost my train of thought on, the, on another one, but you know, I'd, I'd be nervous to go on that if I was young, because number one, you get, you don't know who, you have to kind of make yourself look good, of course. And you have to present yourself as, you know, to me, smarts, intelligence is always more important than looks, but people just rate you. They go through your, your photograph and, you know, your, your profile and they rate you. I think, Oh, you know, they're, I don't think I could date like that. I, I personally, I feel sorry for anybody that is a woman right now in dating age. Cause it must be really hard unless you meet a guy in college, you know, you don't want to pick up a guy in a bar, of course, but if you go on a social, I get, I, and I know it's accepted. My, my son said, you know, mom, you know, you have to get with a program here. I said, yeah, but I don't think I could ever do that. I don't think I could have ever put my profile on a social media dating site to be like chosen for a date. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't have any answers for that. That's tough. I don't know. I mean, I think it comes from two places. One is men have always had a double standard towards women. Like I said, the Hollywood thing has always been that way. Uh, women have always found it impossible to get work after a certain age, whereas with men. And look how many times you see even married couples where the man totally lets himself go and nobody cares, but the woman can't, right? Yes, you're uh, right. right. Yep. You know, that kind of thing has always been in existence. But I think the thing that social media has done is it's made it worse for people, not just in terms of knowing that they're being judged by others, but also it, coming to judge themselves more like the standard is set i have to meet it or i'm not good enough and i think people do absorb it more now internally not just for what other people think but for what they think of themselves and that's tough i mean it is hard it's easy to say okay well just be self-confident and build up the idea that these things don't matter and 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 you're you know here's what's important and blah 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 but how do you actually do that in practice i i, I don't know I don't know. It's tough. It is hard. And social media has definitely, I think, made that part of life worse, probably. I, I agree with you, Scott, because you're judging yourself against somebody else's seemingly, quote unquote, perfect life. And, you know, we know that that's the presentation that people um, like to present of their life. You know, aren't I, don't I, I'm, I'm a travel blogger. I'm going to all these fabulous places. And I, you know, and you know, I'm, I'm a, and I have the perfect body and see me in the bikini and whatever. And that's fine. But I'm thinking if you're a young girl, how do I mean, is that something you aspire to? I wouldn't want my daughter to necessarily aspire to that. But it's not like you see a lot of, okay, for lack of a better word, geek pictures, you know, girls doing, you know, mathematical equations. Yeah, It's but, just, but you know, you know what I'm saying. Them. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're saying, and that that's not the type of image they're going to get deluged with. But but you can also do things like um, my daughter has been reading some books that were written by the first female marine biologist, or at least the first famous one, the first one that, that had a, a noticeable impact, and she's written a lot of books. And you can do things like that. You can point out, here's some accomplishments these people have done. Here's some things that you can aspire to, and you can... I think that I think all you can do is help, you know, they, they're going to be kids are interested in what they're going to be interested in. And they're not stupid, they can find things for themselves. I'm not, again, I'm not trying to go back to programming your kids. But what you can do is you can help them find these people who are women who are doing fascinating and interesting things and using their brains and doing stuff that actually matters. And that is interesting. And if you have a child that kind of gravitates towards those things anyway, I think it'll help. So I, I think you can, yes, you can talk about, okay, these things aren't really important. These people do this thing, but that's not really important, blah, blah, blah. You can do that. But just doing that by itself isn't going to do any good unless you also are helping with um, 
providing some, you know, guiding them towards just the realization that there are these other things out there. I can have interests and I can focus on those. And there's people that I can look at who are doing interesting things. You, there has to be a balance because you can't just say, hey, this is, you know, you don't have to believe this imagery that you're seeing. You also have to provide the counterpoint, which is there are people that don't care about this stuff and they're doing interesting things. And look, they're women and you can grow up and be like them too. I, I don't know. I, I don't have an answer. I'm not saying this is a solution for success, but I'm just saying I think there's things that you can try to do to help mitigate some of the pressure that people have. I do think the pressure is more intense, but I also think like, for instance, I want to see the movie Hidden Figures. I've heard it's, I've heard it's really good. And I think that in, in of itself is a really positive message to see, you know, three African-American women um, working for NASA and, you know, the issues they dealt with and, and how intelligent and smart they were and how it, crucial they were uh, to that mission. So, you know, I think it's nice to see some strong, intelligent films that are portraying women come from Hollywood. I really appreciate that rather than, you know, just as uh, eye candy or uh, the same thing with the last Star Wars movie, you know, having a female lead who she, the actress did a fabulous job. That That's very attractive to me. And, you know, um, I know people may not have liked it. Uh, I know they had... Some people like the movie, some didn't, but, um, you know, oh gosh, I just lost a kid. See, this is what happens when you get older. Um, Jennifer Lawrence, Mockingjay, come on, Suze. Oh, Hunger Games. Thank you. (laughs) I would be losing Jeopardy right now. I I better not, I better not try out for Jeopardy. My mind's too slow. But, you know, like Hunger Games, again, a very strong female protagonist. I love that. I love seeing that. I'd like to see more of those. Rather than just a love story, you know, I really, I really can't stand um, the love stories. Yeah, and I think um, that's that's something that I liked about the last two Star Wars movies was that they had good, strong female characters, and they, um, I think they at least went a pretty good way toward portraying the fact that they didn't really need men to help them; that they they were fully capable on their own, and that they were interesting, fully developed characters on their own. And I like that. So those are the kind of things that I, I like taking my daughter to. And and on the, you know, even Frozen, I guess, was kind of that way. On the other side, when I do see a movie where it falls back into the old tropes of the man has yes. to do the yeah. rescuing, I point that out to her. And I'm like, look, um, I don't believe in that. I don't like that. You know, here's why. It's okay to be entertained by it as a story. But uh, it makes me mad that they portray this this way or at least point out that that that's just somebody's idea of how it has to be. That's not how it has to be, you know? Um, so yeah, there's, again, there's both sides and there just, is. Try to, just try to point it out, but also try to find the stuff that's, that's good and gives the right message and then go to those. And, you know, luckily she likes those things. So Scott, you sound like an awesome father. You sound like, you know, you're really on top of, uh, of everything. And I think, I think nowadays you really have to be, I don't think you can just allow kids to have a phone and just think they're going to all self monitor. You know, I, I, I like the fact that you're so engaged with your daughter. Well, I have, I mean, okay. So I've kind of grown up with technology my brother was always into computers and I've been into technology for a long time. So I think I kind of have an advantage and I, I think it's easier for me to understand what kind of stuff she might run into and how certain services work and stuff like that. So I'm not, I can't criticize people who don't because sometimes they just don't know. Um, but I think the biggest thing that I learned from my own dad, even though my parents were kind of conservative when I was a kid, the one thing I did learn from my dad was uh, always have an open mind and always take everything with a grain of salt. And and I guess that's where I get the attitude of my daughter has to make up her own mind in life. And, and that's really what you want kids to do anyway, right? But um, But I guess that's where I get that from. But then just as far as the technology goes, I'm just kind of lucky because I work in technology and my brother got me interested in it from a, a young age. But I can imagine for people that don't know anything about how computers work or don't know how the internet works or haven't seen some of the garbage that goes on on the internet, it's probably a lot more challenging. But that's not to say, look, she's only 10. She hasn't been exposed to a lot of things that are out there yet. It could, you know, time will tell, but I could fumble this really badly and she could have a miserable time of it. Who's to say? I don't know. Well, we could probably talk for another hour, but we're going to wrap this up right now. Unless there's anything you'd like to add, Scott? Um, 
my daughter's awesome. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> she's a, well, she, she, has, she awesome. has an awesome dad. Yeah. She has yeah, an awesome she dad. Yes, she does. Yes, she does. So if listeners want to get in touch with you, Scott, how would they do that? I'm on Twitter at Scott A.W. And I have a website at saw66.com. And I just started a new podcast with a friend of mine. It's a monthly podcast. It's called Don't Nihongo It Alone. And it's at <laughs> nihongo.audio. That's N-I-H-O-N-G-O dot audio. Okay. And all those links will be in our show notes, which you can find at 3geekyladies.com with the number three spelled out. We want to thank you so much for listening. Scott, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. It was great having you again. It was great having you. It's great talking to you again. That was fun. And, And listeners, we will talk to you next time. Pushots, host of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. Every month I gather together a panel of Apple followers and we digest the month's Apple news. Our aim is to step back and take a 40,000 foot view of all things Apple. We're the perfect complement to the many great daily news shows out there. Listen and subscribe at www.lets-talk.ie.